This is a podcast from 2MBS Spine Music Sydney. Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on 2MBS Spine Music Sydney. My guest today is a British actor who's appeared on the West End and on Broadway. Callum Francis made the role of Lola in Kinky Boots his own on Three Continents, which included winning a Helpman Award for Best Male Actor in a Musical for his portrayal on these shores. His musical theatre credits don't end in knee-high boots either, having appeared in Rent, The Lion King, Miss Saigon and most recently The Girl from the North Country. He's about to appear as Raoul in the fabulous production of The Phantom of the Opera, which is on Sydney Harbour from the 25th of March. And I'm very excited that he's in conversation with me today. Callum Francis, a warm welcome for 2MBS Fire Music Sydney. How are you? Good. Well, appearing as a lead in one of the most successful musicals of all time on Sydney Harbour. Do you have to pinch yourself? I know, yeah. It is, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, as a British guy, to have that as a backdrop, it's... Yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any ways that this production's going to differ from the one one that's inside the theatre in terms of rather than it just being, you know, Look, air? it's going to be different because it has to be. Yeah. It's it's on the water. It's the first time in 35 years that a production like this has been done of Phantom of the Opera. Um so it's definitely going to be different. You've appeared in quite a diverse selection of musical theatre and we'll come to your most celebrated in Kinky Boots a bit later. But is there a particular way you'll be approaching this role? Well, this is very different for me. This is very, very different because it's so... Um, I don't want to say traditional and like and legit, but it, it is. It, it leans, it's Phantom of the Opera. It's the <laughs> first time I'm, I've done anything of this operatic scale. So it'll be very interesting for myself. I've done this for, oh my goodness... 10, 11 years now, and I'll, it's nice to be doing something new that late on. What are you, some of your favourite performances that you've already already done before? That I've done? Yeah. Miss Saigon is my all-time favourite musical. Mm. Kinky Boots is, I hold that dear to my heart because it changed my life, mm. literally. When I started college, the one role that I really, really wanted to try and do was Simba in the Lion King, which I was lucky enough to do at one point. Wow. So I'm quite lucky and grateful that everything I wanted to do so far, I've been able to tick off, which is very rare to say, but I'm just so grateful that it's happened. One thing has kind of just led to the next. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, how familiar were you with Phantom? And, and I mean, you're you're young enough, if I can put it that way, that <laughs> I think the musical's older than you are. Yeah, only, only by a year. Only by a year. <laughs> Nevertheless. Um, yeah, it's look, something that's always been there. It's though. always been there. Yeah. You hear the, you hear that overture. You hear that, dun, 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 and you know full well it's dramatic. I, yeah. I look at me flailing my arms around. Clearly, I'm dramatic. I know the music. <laughs> um, it's just one that has been around, and like I said, it's a year older than I am. So it's it's one that I've always known, and I always say that people who aren't necessarily in this industry or like theatre know Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. They do. It's just a given. Have you actually seen someone else perform it? I have, funnily enough, two of my best friends are playing Christine and Phantom in London at the minute. I haven't actually seen them because, you You know, good old COVID, I haven't been back in a while. But yeah, they're over there now. So I I speak to Killian, who plays Phantom quite a lot, with his bald calf in his mask. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you don't have to go through quite the makeup that uh, the Phantom has to go through. No, I don't. I do have a cracking wig, though, which is, oh oh, yeah, it's a good old little shoulder length number. (laughs) With a role such as this, it's, you know, people have been listening to the soundtrack, certain people such as myself have been listening to the soundtrack over and over again over the years. Do you have to kind of put those things out of your mind when you're getting ready to sing it um, or and just bring yourself to it? I, I'm lucky that I've worked with a lot of amazing directors and musical associates that allow you to bring yourself to a role. Mm. And I always do that. There's no point doing it if you can't bring an essence of yourself to it. And I think even in the audition process, I said... Uh, that my sound, Callum's sound, is very different to a classical Raoul sound. So it's about kind of finding the the middle ground where the two meet, uh, which is it's interesting and it's and it's fun to do. And I think I will sound different, but I will be respectful. Uh, to the piece, mm. for sure. Because there are other different ways of sort of singing. Like, I mean, we're, we're going to be playing your... Ki- how can we not play you in Kinky Boots a bit later? And and that's a very poppy sort of yeah. sound, and, and you're playing a completely different role. So is it a challenge to kind of do a slightly different style of singing for this? I don't believe so. I don't think... Well, yes, I guess everything is a challenge, and that's what makes what I do fun. I always feel like the word challenge has like kind of a negative connotation, like as if it's going to be hard. Uh, do you yeah. know what I mean? But it, But I don't believe... I don't believe it is. It's it's quite interesting to to try something new and 
without getting too technical, our voices are muscles, and our muscles can do different things. Mm. You, it's just about stretching them into those positions that you need. So it's just kind of a technical thing that you'd change. I, that, that got really technical. Yeah, that's technical is good. <laughs> no, it's interesting because that, that's the sort of thing I'm always fascinated about. I mean, sometimes people, the, a completely different sound can come out of the same person, and I suppose yeah, that's, that's, it's, that's quite it's amazing. Ba- it? It's baffling. It, I find the voice so interesting, and I find mm. it so fascinating to... I like, for example, like when people sing... Can, and then some people really can't sing, and I'm no disrespect to them, but I'm like, we all have the same muscles. I'm just so intrigued as to how some work differently, yeah. some vibrate differently. I think some of us are tone deaf is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I was being polite. You I'm men- well, <laughs> you mentioned the audition process. Was it a tough one to do for this? I, I, think, I think for a lot of people it was really tough. I was very lucky that I went in a few times and I kind of did what was needed and I'm very upfront and forward and kind of we we played we tried different things and it was very comfortable from the start so um yeah I had a I had a wonderful audition process great well I think we have to hear a track from Phantom of the Opera because I can't I can't stand it for another minute so <laughs> here is here is a rendition of all I ask of you the original West End cast no more talk of darkness forget these wide-eyed fears I'm here Nothing can harm you My words will warm and calm you Let me be your freedom Let daylight dry your tears I'm here with you beside you To cut you and to guide you of you from the Phantom of the Opera. The first choice of my guest in conversation today, Callum Francis. He'll be playing Raoul in the Phantom of the Opera on Sydney Harbour from the 25th of March. Callum, you're playing the romantic lead, uh, and I did see at the time that you were cast that um, well, you felt it was sort of a significant moment for you, being a, a person of colour, taking on such a role because you didn't see people who looked like you when you were a kid in these yeah. roles. Is that is that true? Yeah, and I mean, it has been it has been done before. A person of colour has played a role before. 
Um, and I think quite recently, as people would have seen, Lucy St. Louis in the West End is the first person of colour to play Christine, mm. which is a wonderful thing. It took a little bit too long, but it's a wonderful thing. And I, I um, myself and my partner actually are the founders and presidents of a charity here in Australia called We The Industry, which is about inclusivity across theatre. And it's in our our slogan actually is, if you see it, you can be it. And it's true because there are so many... Well, for example, me as a kid, I mm. never saw a person of colour in the romantic lead that had no like agenda, no like they won't accept him because he's not like this. Or do you know what I mean? There yeah. was never, there was always something to it. It was never just two people in love. Yeah, there was always like a hidden meaning as to why it wouldn't work. So for me, playing this that again doesn't have an agenda, and also as a queer man. It's really important. It's really, it's just something that gives me shivers. And I, because I, I just think of all the younger brown boys and girls and non binaries that would watch and see themselves, mm. which I never had, which I just think is, is wonderful and very, very important. And also, it's, it's quite easy to fix things like this mm. by casting someone like myself in a role like this. Mm. That slogan, what was that again? If you can, if, if you see it, you can be it. That is such a great way of, of expressing it because it is a matter of you can't aspire to something no. if you don't think it's possible. Exactly. And it's, it's interesting. I always say this and I use this same example. If you walk in Priceline or Chemist Warehouse or anything and walk down the baby aisle... I'm going somewhere with this. Walk down the baby aisle and you see all the milks and the diapers and stuff. There's no kids of colour. Oh, there's like maybe three or four. It's just really interesting because it's normal for people to see that. But for the kids like myself or from any walks of life, if you don't see it, you can't be it. And that's just... I'm not saying that all kids aspire to be on diapers, <laughs> but but it's it's true. You... You but have to be able to see to that. Have kids <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's things like this and... And getting to do this production on the harbour, and maybe even if one little brown boy comes to watch, then it's amazing. We've done something truly dif- different that sparked a bit of joy and creativity in a, in a kid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's important. So what were you aspiring to when you were growing up? Funnily enough, I was a little bit of a late bloomer with getting into the industry, but the one thing that made me go, oh my God, I could do that, is I watched Miss Saigon in Manchester as a 16-year-old boy, I think I was, and a person of colour played John. And I was like, oh, I think I could do that. I really think I could probably do that. And within the year, I'd moved to London and trained and and then eventually got to, to do it. So that's what made me kind that, of... That inspired you too. Yeah, completely. It was that one spark. And I think anyone who loves theatre or mm. is in theatre, we can all definitely name that one moment that sparked us. We all have it. We yeah. all absolutely have it. Even if it's not theatre, if it's anything, there's something that sparks us. Was it I can do this or I want to do this? I think a bit of both. Yeah. I didn't know that I could do it. <laughs> I think it always starts with the one. You said late bloomer. You weren't actually in the context of your interest in theatre. This is not actually something you, you wanted to do since you were six years no, old or something. Wasn't I wanted to be an architect. An architect? Yeah, but then I realised I didn't have the brains. I was <laughs> 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 really good at maths and I'm not. Um... Yeah, I wanted to be an architect. I liked, I always liked, uh, like, just fooling around and dancing at home, but my mum tried to put me in tap and ballet classes when I was three, and I screamed. I was quite a shy child. I screamed and screamed, and funnily enough, go. I still can't tap, and it's the one thing that makes me cry. Like, I, it's, the frustration I get from trying to tap is <laughs> brings me to tears. No so yourself, no tap dancing in Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> no, please, please no. Um, so, yeah, I was always quite creative and... Kind of as I as I got a little bit older, get a bit more confident and things. Yeah. But no, I, I I was a real late bloomer. So your mother was trying to get you into performing arts. Was it just something that mothers do to get so. kids to do stuff? I think so. There was like there was a tap class down the road from where I lived in Manchester in the UK, and I I think I, I don't I don't really I've never had that conversation with her, but I think maybe it was just like oh let's get him to do an activity. I didn't yeah. like swimming. Get him out of the house. Yes, <laughs> but I didn't like swimming. I didn't like. PE at school, like all those things. I was yeah. never an, an active child. Yeah. So to think that this is what I do now is quite funny. So you, you weren't starring in every school production then? No. In fact, we didn't, in our high yeah. school, we didn't have, like, we had a drama class and that was it. There was no school productions, no nothing. And I think that's why it maybe took me a little longer. 
like some of the schools now that I see that are putting on fully fledged musicals, mm. I'm like, oh, imagine if we had incredible that. Sometimes. Oh yeah, completely. Mm. And I think in England, no disrespect to the UK, I think the facilities there aren't as good as the schools here. Interesting. That's a, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> that's, that's a different conversation on a different day, I think. So, I mean, I, think, I guess it comes back to if you can see it, you can be it. Because if yeah. you didn't think, if there was no, well, if exactly, there was none of that yes. around you. So, when you say you were sixteen when you saw that yeah, production of uh, Miss Saigon, what happens? I saw the show, and I just f- I fell in love with the the sound, the the roaring sound, and mm. seeing uh, he was called Hugh Maynard, who played John. Um, and seeing how he did that, I went home and I think it was in Manchester for maybe three weeks and I saw it three times. Wow. I went back and back because I just, it was just epic. I mean, it's Miss Saigon, it's epic. Um, and then I went to a kind of like a local theatre class school to try and see if this is something I could do. I at first thought I wanted to be a dancer. I thought I can move. I had long limbs. I was flexible. I, it was naturally there. Just by hating tap dance when you were Despite three years old. I hate hating tap dance. <laughs> and still. Um, it's funny because my partner's an incredible tapper and I, I like watching him tap, but I just couldn't think of anything worse. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I did that. And then I looked into all the... In England, if you want to train in the, the best schools, I should say, they are in London. They're south. Um, so we looked into that. We looked into funding and all the things. And within like a year, a year and a half, I'd moved to London at maybe two years. About 18, I moved uh, to train at Lane Theatre Arts in Surrey, in Epsom, and trained there for three years. Realised kind of whilst I was there that I had a voice, uh, that I could sing. Um, and then that's where my path kind of changed i still danced but it was predominantly like led with singing so mm. so you were, you were a dancer who could act and then sing and yeah oh that's of, what i kind thought. of grew from the dancing i nearly yeah. went to i got accepted into london school of contemporary mm. for dance and I, I really nearly went there which my career would have been very different yeah it would have been i don't know what it, it would a different have been. career yeah. yeah different 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 trajectory so your, your parents were obviously very uh oh so supportive yeah. yeah so supportive I have the most accepting, wonderful, supportive family in the world. I'm the baby of five boys. My brothers still tease me and tell me to get a, a real, real job, job yeah. even though I when am you're way get a more job? than they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and my grandparents, they were all so supportive. As soon as I was like, this is what I want to do, they all just like grabbed it by the horns and were like, yeah, let's, let's make it happen. Right. So, yeah. Well, we have to have another choice of music now. And, uh, well, how can we not have after that? Something from Miss Saigon, Buidoy. It's a big number Oof, for John. So big. So good. Opens act two. So tell me, tell me about performing it. Oh, it was amazing. I, well, that's the thing. I eventually, how many years after I graduated, maybe four, eventually got to be in the revival company of Miss Saigon and understudy John. And funnily enough, understudy Hugh Maynard, who I'd watched all those years ago, was still doing the role. And it was just, yeah, it's unreal. This is like the start of Act 2, the time's passed in the story. I don't want to ruin the story, but it's a song about helping kids, which is something I'm passionate about anyway. So it was amazing to channel into that. And I did look a little bit young and I looked like I was in my dad's suit, but that's okay. <laughs> I did it. <laughs>
I never thought one day I'd plead for half-breeds from a land that's torn. But then I saw a camp for children whose crime was being born. Their Doi, the fabulous number that opens Act 2 of Miss Saigon. The choice of my guest in conversation today, Callum Francis. He's appearing in The Phantom of the Opera on Sydney Harbour from the 25th of March. Callum, we touched on it already, but your biggest gig, and you know, lovers of Phantom of the Opera may need to just block their ears for a moment because <laughs> it's not Phantom, but your biggest gig would have to be as Lola in Kinky Boots because you, yes. you, know, you, you play it all around the world. I tell did. tell me about really getting that lucky. role for the first um, I I was originally a swing and understudy Lola in the original production in West End, 2015 or maybe 2014. Oh my God, you're really making my brain tick over this morning. <laughs> Dates yeah. are all meaningless. <laughs> Funnily enough, when the audition came through, I turned it down because I didn't, I didn't watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I'd never dragged before in my life and never wore a pair of heels and I just thought oh this isn't this isn't my no no disrespect to them or anything but I just was like oh this isn't for me I think I was I was doing Miss Saigon at the time funnily enough and I was a GI and I was like in that world so I thought oh this isn't for me and then I, I think I turned it down maybe two or three times and Jerry Mitchell contacted my agent and said look we think that he would be really good tell him to just come in the room we'll experiment we'll have a play and and then when I learned the the story of Kinky Boots, they gave me the script and I, I watched the film because I hadn't actually seen it. And I realised that it was actually a story about acceptance and all of the stuff that is way deeper than just a pair of boots. Um, I, I fell in love with it and mm. was like, I, I have to get this. Because that's actually quite interesting because when I saw it, I, I kind of went into it with the same sort of view you you, you mm. think oh this is just going to be a bit of fun a bit of fluff but it actually it's actually quite a well, also quite an important story the word kinky like people yeah. and kinky boots people are like what is it's the same with trying to sell the musical the way that they tried to promote it, it it's the word is kinky they didn't realize it in actual fact it's owned by disney and disney don't have disney's kinky boots because it's because, because it's, it's kinky. kinky yeah it's 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 interesting mm. but it's it's so much more than that word and those boots it's it's such a wonderful story but i so i auditioned and i was so grateful and lucky that joe mitchell cast me in in that and i i did it and then one day i so i did a job in shanghai 10 years ago and i met my best friend drew weston who is australian and drew was living here we kept in touch we were as close close as ever and we were actually facetiming one day and he said oh i'm auditioning for kinky boots i was like oh you have to go for it you'd be great blah 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 and he said, oh, they're, they're auditioning Lola and they haven't found one yet. Well, you should do it. So we laughed and joked and said, how funny would it be? And he was like, no, actually, I'm, I think this would be really good. So I literally put the phone down to him, rang my agent and said, hey, look, if they can't find anyone, I'm interested. I obviously know the show. Just put my name in there, see what happens. And he immediately was like, already on it don't like leave it with me don't worry so then i rang drew back and was like oh he's gonna he's gonna inquire let's see this will be really funny yeah ha, ha, nothing's gonna low. happen nothing exactly yeah. just like you have to if you don't ask you don't get of course I, I am a great believer of that so i did it and then a couple of weeks later i get a phone call from my agent saying i'm not supposed to tell you this <laughs> classic Jörg, he's called um i'm not supposed to tell you this but you're gonna go on on saturday night and it was it was a saturday night and then we had the olivier awards on the sunday so he's like, you're going to go on on the Saturday night. Jerry Mitchell, Stephen Aremus, the orchestrator, and Cindy Lauper are watching. And he was like, that's going to be your audition. For Australia. I, yeah. I'm not telling you anymore, but just be on it. So I was like, okay, great. Naturally, I get a chest infection. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, oh, terrified. But I'm like, I have to do it. I have to but just wait, try. You, you were understudying the role anyway. Had you already gone on? I had already gone on. Right. And I loved doing it. And yeah. it was so much fun. Um, but I went on 
like sick as a dog but it was fine i i shame us go you just kind of get through it so i did i got through it and um i was actually pleasantly surprised with i think adrenaline got me through Hmm. um and then we were at the olivier's after party on the sunday night and we had just won best musical kinky boots had just won best musical so everybody was thrilled and cindy lawfer came up to me and she said, congratulations last night. And I said, thank you. She's like, you're going to kill it in Australia. And then she just walked away. And I was like, I kind of just stood there in shock for a bit, being like, what did what did she just say? Like, <laughs> what did she just say? Cindy is like, she's a wonderful human, yeah. but she's, she can let things slip a lot. So I go over to Oh, Jerry. I think that sounded deliberate, <laughs> not slip. <laughs> <laughs> I can go. I went up to Jerry Mitchell and said, hey, Cindy's just said something. And he was like, oh, for God's sake, like, why did she say that? We weren't going to tell you and we were going to wait and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, they were, he was like, yeah, you're going to Australia. If you want to, you're going to Australia. And that's how he worded it. So I was just like, it was the best night. And then I came here and... So how long do you come here for? So I finished the show in 2016 and I had... 10 days to pack everything up and say goodbye to everyone because the plan was it was a 14 month contract 14 months 14 months so I'd fly to Australia 14 months fly home um, I was already auditioning for productions that started after that back in London um, and I came here and within week one I was like uh oh I'm absolutely not going home like this is home now like I just I couldn't not I just I, I, I arrived in Sydney and just walking around the water and seeing this iconic bridge and opera house that I'd only seen in photos since a child, like in real life. Couldn't believe it was mosaic as well. That was a weird thing. I thought it was big. Oh, the opera house. Yeah, I thought it was big tiles. I don't know. But yeah, things like that. And I just <laughs> knew, I just knew week one. It was like, this was it. And I did the show for the 14 months. We did Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. Learned a lot about leading a show and and stamina and all things about myself. Is that then, the longest run you'd ever done of one show? Yeah, yeah, I, uh, twelve months, so not much longer. But okay, but uh, f- with the rehearsals, it was fourteen here, hmm. and then I had. A, Does it get tired? Oh, I had. I honestly had no life. I had no life because I, I couldn't. I had to rest my voice during the day. Yeah, I not to mention all the dance moves as well. In, in the six-inch heel, like, do you know what I mean? It was, it was so tiring, but the job itself was so rewarding and so enjoyable that it made up for that it was it was weird to think to go back to that mindset now it's like scary it's kind of like ptsd you feel a bit like (laughs) oh god but um but it yeah it was it was grueling it was so grueling eight times a week twice in a day sometimes and yeah you mentioned the heels and and having never done drag and so on yourself before anyway it was hard originally to strangely not this is why this role has just been so such a turning point for me because it was strangely comfortable straight away. I actually got taught to walk in heels by a, a stage guy, a stage crew in Miss Saigon, who every year would do the dame in pantomime in the UK. And he's this big burly guy and he brought in his heels one day and he brought in a pair for me and he was like, just stride out. Stride out, don't teeter because you'll fall. And he taught me in between shows of Miss Saigon before my auditions. And we we were striding across the stage with a big old helicopter behind us. <laughs> and that's how I learned to walk in heels. GI in heels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and like, I always say this because it's strange uh, to think that they're comfortable, but they were so comfortable. They were made for my feet and legs. The The boots themselves had like 36 different measurements per leg. So they'd like, they hugged every single part of you and were strangely comfortable. It was bizarre. I still have them. They're at home. You obviously need to stay fit for the role and fit Mm -hmm. and healthy generally. But in a role like that, were you required to take any steps to change any part of your body, like gain weight, lose weight, whatever? I I lost a lot of weight. I naturally plummeted in weight, which is frustrating for some people to hear, but it's also frustrating to me. If I don't work out, if I don't eat correctly, I will lose weight. So I naturally lost quite a lot doing doing the show, but I never tried really hard to put it back on because I was being a female impersonator, so it worked. Mm. And also my finale dress, the red dress and the boots and the wig in total, I think I think it was about $45,000. Oh, good grief. You don't want to be having to lose weight and then not fit anymore. No. <laughs> so, so they're, yeah, they were expensive and 
you couldn't really fluctuate. So I kind of stayed quite thin. I was very, very thin for that. But it worked for the role. Mm. I naturally, once the role, once it had finished, I went back to my, I say normal size. What is a normal size? My normal size. Yeah, your preferred size. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was that. But then I, I gained a lot of weight, muscle, back to my normal size. And then I got the phone call again <laughs> about nine months later. Yeah, it was nine months because I said I could have had a child in that time. To I'll go back to the UK, open the UK tour for five weeks, which was really important because I, I got to play in Manchester, which I'd never played before, and then go and do the show on Broadway. That's amazing to go to Broadway. That oh. must have been... Um, Still kind of don't think it really happened. Oh, yeah. It's like... No, a, it was just a dream come. Do you know, do you know what I mean? No, don't, don't tell me that. <laughs> um, it's just... Yeah, that's what everybody strives for. Yeah. To, especially overseas people, to, to go to, to Broadway, to lead a show on Broadway, it's kind of kind of the gold medal isn't it it's it's to stand on that gold podium and to do that and it was just so amazing and so unreal to this point that I think when was it three years ago now that I go oh that that really happened I've got a really good photograph of my final performance where the guy playing Charlie brought his phone on stage and took a picture of me of my final bow with this crowd it was it's it's just my favourite photo of all time. And I, I like to look at it and go, oh, that really, really happened. Mm. Yeah. Would you, do, would you do the role again? Because, <sighs> I mean, 14 months in Australia, plus the UK tour, plus Broadway, that's a lot of Lola. Yeah, I've, I'm, I think I'm the only Lola to play for productions over three continents. I think I've, I'm the one that's done it in most places. Like Billy, Billy's been back a couple of times and the amazing Jay has done it so much. But I think I've, I think I'm the, I've done it most, but I... I would I would say no because of my back and my oh. my neck and all that, but it's so much fun that I w- yeah. wouldn't be able to say no. It would have to be like a certain, I would say, <laughs> short period, in and out, not like a fourteen month contract. I just don't I'm need o- to lose I'm weight. older now. I couldn't I couldn't do it. It's just it's so grueling. I don't think I could do it justice, and I also wouldn't want to do it worse than what I did. Do you know what uh, I mean? Because I'm that stubborn. <laughs> and the thing is, the way you did it is actually recorded it on, is. Uh, on uh, video because what we're about to hear now is you um, <laughs> singing The Land of Lola. Now, um, regular listeners to the station um, might get a bit of a shock because it, <laughs> it is a bit up-tempo and a bit disco and a bit, it's a bit fabulous, but uh, I think we have to have a little bit of it. But um, it, it comes with a whole video, and so you can look it up on YouTube. Just look up Callan Francis Kinky Boots and, you, and you'll find it in, yes. in two seconds. So what, what was this video? How was it, why was it done? So this video was filmed when we were about to finish our Melbourne season and move to Sydney. And the producers had this amazing idea to release a music video of Land of Lola, basically calling Sydney the Land of Lola and kind of saying, hey, Sydney, she's arrived. And yes, she arrived. (laughs) Leave expectations at the door. Just let your eyes explore my cinematic flair from my boot to derriere. I got a lacy with arms as hard as steel I am freedom, I'm constriction A potpourri of contradiction Leave that humdrum pace of glum behind Once you walk inside these doors You're mine Now let me blow your mind And like Shazam And bam, here I am Yes ma'am, I am is extreme welcome to my fantasy we get good epiphany so come and take my hand and welcome to the land of love no need to be embarrassed i like to be looked at and you like to look i know a way to make us both happy With the moods of Fred Astaire I'm Black Jesus, I'm Black Mary But this Mary's legs are hairy well, that really is something else, isn't it? The Land of Lola. That's uh, from Kinky Boots, music by Cindy Lauper. And uh, who else? It was Cindy Lauper and... 
Cindy Lauper and Stephen Aremus orchestrated. Right. Yes. And that is, of course, not just the choice of uh, my guest, Callum Francis, but it is, in fact, Callum Francis doing the singing. <laughs> it's so groovy and so incredible. And it's going to be very different to Phantom of the very Opera. Very different. <laughs> Flat shoes for a start. <laughs> I suspect that will help, but still a wig. <laughs> You'll true. still be wearing a wig. Very true. So just a different kind of wig, I suspect. But, uh, yes, less sequence and uh, le- less, less boots. So you fell in love with Australia within a week of arriving here and you, you now call Australia home, mm-hmm. partly because you found love here, if I can yes. uh, put it that way. Tell Fully me about enough, that experience. In my first experience. week as well in your, oh. is when I met Ains. Oh, yeah. So it's so nothing to do with the tiles of the opera house. It's got everything <laughs> to do with... <laughs> yeah, yeah he, it was a close second. <laughs> no, I met, um, I met my now fiancé, Ainsley Mellum, who is also a theatre performer. Yeah. Um, I met him when... Our publicist, well, my publicist for Kinky Boots was his publicist for Aladdin, and they said it would be great if you went to watch the show um, and had a photo for social media afterwards. I was like, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. And, yeah, we went and had a photo for social media and then just started talking, and, yeah, I, I fell head over heels in love with him straight away. And it was funny because, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, um, when I was younger I had a huge obsession with Aladdin, and I had Aladdin and Jasmine dolls. <laughs> and when I told my parents that I'd met Ainsley and he was playing Aladdin, they just laughed. <laughs> they just absolutely howled with laughter. Because I was like, I've done it. I've made myself Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you found Aladdin. <laughs> You've actually found Aladdin. Yeah. But I mean, you, you are a bit of a celebrity power couple in musical theatre because uh, Ainsley's recently just been in Merrily. We roll along at the Hayes. He was, you know, the leading Pippin at the Lyric. I won't use that word challenges again because you said I don't want to say it's a bad thing. But, you know, you're, you're both in the same industry, potentially going for the same sorts mm-hmm. of roles. How does it's, that work? It, look, we, at first we used to say, oh, we'd never go for the same roles. We're very different. For a start, I'm a, I'm a person of colour and he's a Lebanese and Italian man. And it's... It, we look completely different. However, we've actually been for a lot of roles together and up against each other, which is really interesting. Um, it doesn't ever bother us because, like I said, we are very different. So if they go one way, it means that that's the look that they were going for. That's the sound that they were going for. There's nothing that the other person did to sabotage the other person. No, it's it's just how it is. I mean, I'd probably more than likely sabotage him. He's a really nice person. <laughs> Oh, it's, you've got the evil streak. It's that one. I'm, that, I'm the bad cop. Um, so no, we oh, there's never any, never any competition, and we kind of laugh at certain things because we were up against each other for the Helpman Award. Ooh, yeah, which is funny. But so obviously I won that, and it's at home, and I still to this day joke with him, and I say, "Would you like me to move that off the shelf? Is it is it painful?" <laughs> But much? he actually got one up on me. He's so we're on a par because Ainsley got his face on Times Square in New York, oh. and I never got that. And I was right. really sad about that. That, that is a thing. I'm upset. <laughs> it's afraid. so cool, like walking home and seeing his. It was so cool, but I never got that. So he's like, "Oh, well, you got the award, but I got my face on Times Square." Yeah, because one of the things I was also going to ask was about shows taking you to different places at the same time, and yet you both end up in New York mm. at the same time. Him being Aladdin on, with his face in, on a billboard oh, no. in Times Square. Damn it! <laughs> you with a Helpman Award um, <laughs> um, in Kinky Boots at the same time. So yeah. was that just a total coincidence? Total coincidence. So I, like I said earlier, I went back to the UK to open the UK tour and then to go to America, which was the plan. And I left Ainsley in Perth and we were going to be apart for three months. And then he was going to come to the UK and we'd both go to America and he'd just like tag along and come with me. And then I get this phone call one, one really, really early morning when I was in, I was actually in Northampton and it was a FaceTime and it was Ains and I kind of said, only ring me and then the night or the morning if it's an emergency um and I answer and he's like sat in a car and he's kind of got this smirk on his face and I was like are you are you good clearly this isn't a bad thing are you are you okay um and he was like guess what and I just knew I absolutely knew. I was like you're coming to America and he's like I'm coming to America and I was just like <laughs> see I get giddy now think about it because it was so much fun it was like you couldn't plan it both Broadway debuts within weeks of each other it was just, yeah, it was so crazy. And even friends that we have that we met whilst we were over there, they would talk about 
oh, have you, there's a new Aladdin. I always remember that the boys at Kinky Roots were like, oh, there's a new Aladdin and he's really, really pretty. And I was like, yeah, yes, I, know, I, know. I know him. I know him really well. Um, it, people were just like, wait, was this planned? Because we had the same agents. And it just wasn't. It was not planned at all, but it worked out so perfectly. Mm. Yeah, Doing eight shows a week on Broadway... I suspect is fairly gruel during eight shows a week anyway, but in Broadway it means that, you know, you're not exactly going to spend much time partying in New York, are you? No, not at all. There was this <laughs> there was this one story that I always tell just for the like kind of Instagram versus reality of things. I I came home from work, Ainsley came home from work and because a lot of people forget it is work. And we came home and there's a lot of different exercises you can do to help your voice. One of which is blowing in a straw. And it and it's it's like kind of a massage for your voice. And we're both sat in our apartment. We're very lucky because they accommodated us because we didn't live there. Our apartment was on Times Square. Looked over onto the busyness of that. Quiet spot. Quiet and bright. <laughs> <laughs> never, never, ever dark. Um, and we both looked at each other, blowing in straws in complete silence. And we burst out laughing because it was like, oh, living the dream. <laughs> like, living the dream, both of us just blowing in a straw so we can get into bed and sleep. <laughs> like, we were just exhausted. But, again, we had the time of our lives. We wouldn't change it for the world. But Absolutely. But it's, it's funny. We would, no, we, there was no partying. There was exploring during the day, but no, so. no, no partying. Yeah, yeah. Well, partying for another time, I guess. Exactly. So the story around the next bit of music we're about to have is a bit tragic, Callum. Can you tell me about what yeah. we're about to hear? I lost, I always I always call him my number one fan. I lost my granddad last year whilst COVID was happening. Uh, so I didn't get chance to go home and see him. I never say that I didn't have a chance to go home and say goodbye because funnily enough, when I left the UK in two, year, two years ago um, was the last time I went home, my granddad said bye to me. And he's as dramatic as I am at times and he said oh and he, I just always remember he was like oh I just feel like I'm not going to see you again and I was like oh you don't say things like that like come on now and he like hugged me and he really really hugged me and I always think now he was completely right 100% right he's stubborn like I am and I hate that he won <laughs> uh, but he did so I, I lost granddad last year the most accepting man on the planet had a picture of me in my red dress as the background of his phone. And I always get annoyed when people say, oh, well, they're of that generation, they don't understand, or they don't... Nah, nonsense, nonsense. My granddad was of that generation and was amazing. Granddad, I'm gay. Cool, what's new? Granddad, I'm going to be dressing as a woman for a job. Cool, what's new? He didn't care. Mm. Always at stage door, always at every performance I could do. Um hated the fact that I moved here because he didn't get to see it. I mean, supported me, but was just envious of everyone getting to watch. And I couldn't go back for his funeral, so I decided to record one of his songs. The The Hollies was his favourite band, and he would always... Because he had dementia, and towards the end, all he would do is watch videos of me or videos of The Hollies. So this was my kind of way of getting the last word, let's say that. <laughs>
The Hollies with The Air That I Breathe, an uh, important song for Callum Francis, my guest in the studio today, in tribute to his grandfather who he lost last year. And Callum is, of course, in The Phantom of the Opera on Sydney Harbour. It's from the 25th of March. Get along to opera.org.au for tickets. Callum, you mentioned before about a charity that you'd set up with your fiancé Ainsley, uh, We the Industry. Mm -hmm. I want to delve a little bit more into that. Is it focused on uh, racial equality or is it sort of all forms of equality? No, it's all forms of equality. I think inclusion is so important in our industry. We always say that art represents life, imitates life, I should say, and and it in parts doesn't because of what I said earlier about people seeing themselves, about people being able to think that they can do something like that. So we decided to start We The Industry as a way of giving back. Ainsley and I have had wonderful careers that we've been so lucky and so grateful to have. But We The Industry has now become something that if we can leave that behind, it's far more important to us. It's across race, gender, location, ability, disability. It's to make sure that everybody sees themselves at the table. Um, not just on stage as well, because our wonderful industry expands beyond the wings. There's amazing stage crew, stage management, company management, the people that make wigs, that make the costumes, the makeup department. They're all part of the team that make what people see on stage. Because a lot of people will come and watch and think, yes, I enjoy the theatre, but I can't sing and dance the way that they can. I can't act the way they can. But they can still be involved. There's still a space for them at the table. Mm. So we decided to start that along with some amazing other people on the panel, uh, Jared Draper, who's currently in Moulin Rouge, Lyndon Watts, who plays Burr in Hamilton, Chloe Zool, who plays Eliza in Hamilton, and Esther Hannaford, who was obviously the amazing Carol King in Beautiful. We are a panel of people that basically to help make decisions. We have all these ideas, and there's a lot of things coming out this year that I can't say yet, but it's really exciting, and it's it's got a lot of support and it. I think it's going to kind of change the face of the industry a little bit. That's the plan. We had this amazing idea. I came up with it and I said to Ainsley, like, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to put our passion. And obviously, like most things, I thought of everything and anything that we could do to fix the problem. But you have to scale it down. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, we had to like kind of go, okay, what's our first like kind of point of call here? So it was to what we've decided to do is team up with institutions so leading institutions in australia such as nida vca WAPA, um we've teamed with them to try and get people through the institutions a lot of people think that they can't afford it a lot of people think that i can't go there because there's not a lot of people like me um and it's about that because if people are going through the institutions naturally our industry is going to change and all departments stage management crew anything so we've worked hard and long a long time with these institutions to try and change that and things like trying to come up with funds for scholarships Uh, the amazing NIDA has kind of wiped any audition fees that come through with the industry so people don't have to then save money to even audition they can just go and and show themselves um which is important there's a a ticketing project that we are also launching really soon um where it's called If You See It, You Can Be a Ticketing Project. And we've been given a, a large amount of money to send people to theatres to c- try and create that spark that I spoke about earlier. It's kids and their guardians to go and watch a piece of theatre where they see themselves and maybe go, oh, this is... Th- that's Callum back when he watched Miss Saigon. He can, he can then go on and do something. They can go and do something. So we've got that launching in... I think in a, maybe a, in a month's time, early this year, and and I hope that will lead to people signing up for colleges and training through these institutions and going because it's it's a tough industry, and there's only a select few that can come into it without training, just like raw talent, because there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that is a learnt thing, um, and it's important to get the younger generation through. Mm. Yeah. You've had an impressive mix of roles already in your career, but is there a, a dream one that you'd love to get your teeth into? I get asked this a lot, and I, I think I think now I want to make my own. I think now I want to originate something. I want to... There's, there's loads more of roles that I still would love to play, of course, 
and this and this role this next role in phantom of the opera is something that i've i never thought possible but definitely is something but i think next i would like to try and make something new trying to be the i want to be the first of of, of something all right so not write necessarily but be the originator of yeah. the, the role yeah okay. oh i i get yourself I don't on the original the broadway bra- cast album <laughs> exactly i okay. don't have the the uh the skill of writers and and the technicians of music the way that they can come up with things and stuff like that i admire them and i and tell me to sing something and i'll sing it but i yeah i don't have that skill Well, Callum Francis, I look forward to enjoying the many skills that you do have (laughs) on Sydney Harbour. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Actor Callum Francis. He's playing the lead role of Raoul in The Phantom of the Opera on Sydney Harbour. It's playing from the 25th of March. Get along to opera.org.au for tickets. That's all for In Conversation for today. Find us at 2mbsfindmusicsydney.com slash inconversation to revisit past editions And you can also subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. Just search for 2MBS In Conversation and do remember to leave a rating and review. It helps other like-minded people find the show. I'm Simon Moore and this is 2MBS Fine Music Sydney.